going to be in Psalm 86 this morning. We'll be kind of using Psalm 86, which was our um, scripture reading this morning. Use that as a little bit of a launch pad for our Father's Day message this morning. Again, happy Father's Day to each of you uh, that are fathers. You know, Father's Day is an interesting holiday. Um, some of you, uh, for some of you, it's, it's a very good holiday, and it's wonderful, and it, you're able to celebrate your father, and, and um, that's wonderful, and it's great. It's a great thing. Uh, many of you, though, no longer have an earthly father here to celebrate, and that can be certainly uh, make this day difficult. For some, the challenge with today is more related to the type of father that you have or had. Um, you know, some of us have or had wonderful fathers who, though they were not perfect, were outstanding examples, excellent examples of love and, and support. And others, and I know that, that many, and I, I, no, I no doubt many in this room would fall in this category, have or had uh, earthly fathers that make this day uh, very difficult to, to celebrate uh, due to the perhaps painful memories or, or difficulty with which you associate um, fatherhood. But regardless of whether you have had a, a good example as an earthly father, I have some good news for you this morning. And I want to talk to you this morning, I want to tell you this morning that there is a God in heaven who is a perfect heavenly father. He's a perfect heavenly father, and this morning we're going to look at several key ways in which I think that we as fathers are called upon to imitate our heavenly father for traits for which we need, that, that we need to emulate that he has. A couple years ago, I was at a, um, it was before I was here at Harvest, actually, I was at a pastor's conference out in California, actually, and uh, it's, it's, I think it's really the only thing I've ever done like that, but it was a great pri- privilege to be able to go out there, and um, one afternoon, we were out, uh, we, you know, it was four of us, I think, that were kind of as a, part of a group that we all traveled together, and we rented a vehicle and stayed in a hotel together and all that kind of thing, and so um, we were sitting somewhere waiting on something one afternoon, and um, I was sitting in the back of the, uh, of the car with one of these other guys that we were traveling with, and he had his wallet sitting right there, and I saw in his wallet a shiny gold card, shape of, shape of a credit card, um, very, you know, just, but it kind of caught my eye. It's like, well, what was that? I don't remember if I really saw it or he just showed it to me. I, I don't think he was, and, and this is a, this is a, a, a evangelist, actually. He's a guy that if I said his name, you would know who he is and, and a great, great guy. And this is not in any way a disrespect to him at all. Um, but he had this gold card in his wallet and it caught my eye. And I was like, what, what is that, man? What, what, is, what is that gold card? And he said, well, this, this right here, this, it had his name right on it, okay? This was his, it was like a membership card, okay? But it wasn't a membership card to a country club or, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever else you get membership cards to. Um, it was a Starbucks gold card, okay? Have you all heard of these things? Okay, have you seen these things, okay? And I just looked at that card and I thought, wow. I mean, this guy... <laughs> He has arrived in the, in, the co- in the coffee world, okay? Now, as I said, he was an evangelist, okay? And so he, he traveled a lot, and he had a good excuse, I guess, to, you know, he's in and, in and out of airports all the time. And, and if you like Starbucks, that's fine. I was in Starbucks just this past week, actually, but meeting, meeting with someone. But, um, you know, right then and there, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I, I looked at that card, and I thought, man, I've got to have that. I mean, I really, I really want, I want a, I want a Starbucks. How do you get that, you know? 
And this was years and years ago, okay? I was very immature uh, back then. But um, now, and so I, I was like, you know, okay, how do you do that? And you have to get points and all this kind of thing. And, and, and it, you know, I, I, but I decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try and do this, okay? Like, I thought it would be kind of cool to, to do that. You get rewards and, and whatever. This is not a paid promotion for Starbucks by any means. Don't go there. It's a bad place. No. Um, so uh, I did, actually, after I, I think a couple years later or whatever. I don't know. I, I you know, I, I worked really hard, and, uh, and I got a Starbucks gold card. And, um, and it's, it's kind of tough to get a Starbucks gold card if you don't go there very often. Um, but eventually I did. And, and once I did, I realized that it was a uh, pretty silly and worthless <laughs> thing that was uh, really, um, I don't even know, I don't, I don't have it anymore, I guess. And I don't know if they still give them out. Maybe they do. But man, I saw that gold card and I thought like that, I mean, that was like a status symbol to me. You know, I, I thought, man, I, I want to have that. And again, to my, you know, sorry to say that, but, but I did. I wanted to imitate that, um, because he was a guy who I looked up to. I respected him, and I respected what he did, and, um, and you could give all kinds of examples like that, okay? You know, there's a reason that, that celebrities and, and famous athletes are the people that are on these commercials that you watch on, t uh, on television. Um, they, they see these, these they, they use these celebrities and, and, and uh, famous athletes um, to sell anything and everything because they know, they figure that, that we want to be like them, Right? We want to imitate those people, and, and I'm sure as a broader culture, that's true. It works. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do it if, it if it didn't work. So, dads, let me ask you a question this morning. Who are you imitating? Whose example are you following? As I said already, maybe you didn't have a father whose example you would want to follow. Uh, maybe you said, you know, I want to do everything the exact opposite of what my dad did. And whether you had a good father or not, you are responsible before God to be a good father. You will answer for the kind of father that you are, whether you had a good father or not. And we have a perfect example in that heavenly father, in our heavenly father, as I already said this morning. I want to focus on what he is like and how we can follow his example as we lead our families. Perhaps you've studied the attributes of God at some point. Uh, in your life, maybe in a class in school or something. And, and one of the most helpful, I think, ways that we can categorize the attributes of God is communicable, communicable, if I can say it, communicable and incommunicable. And what that means is basically the communicable attributes of God are attributes of God that we can imitate to some degree, that we can, we can be like that, okay? So we know that God made us in, our, in his image, and in some ways that we, we are able to imitate, we are able, we are like God and we are able to be like God. And of course, his incommunicable attributes would be attributes that we, we cannot imitate. We are not sovereign over anything, okay? The sovereignty of God would be an, an attribute of God that, that we cannot, we, 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 I can't preach to you this morning about trying to be more sovereign, okay? That, that, that would not work. So the things that I'd like to focus on this morning are, are a few, uh, four just key communicable attributes of God, attributes of God that we can in, imitate, that we can be like. And these are certainly things that moms and, and kids and grandparents and, and single folks and uh, people with no children, all of us ought to be seeking to imitate these attributes in our life. We read Psalm 86 together this morning, and again, I'm going to use that as a little bit of a springboard. Verses 14 and 15, O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life, and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God 
full of compassion. What is our God like? He is full of compassion. He is gracious. He is long-suffering. He is abundant in mercy and truth. Verse 15 is on the top of your outline this morning in your bulletin. This is the God we serve. This is the Heavenly Father that we have as an example. The first attribute I'd like for us to look at this morning is the love of the Father. We have an example to follow in that God is love. There's going to be a lot of verses. We're going to move very quickly this morning. As you can see on your outline, there are a lot of verses. They'll be up on the screen behind me. 1 John 4, 8 through 10. He who does not love does not know God, for God is what? God is love. In this, the love of God has, was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for us. God is love, meaning that in his essence, God is love. He created love. He is at the core, love is at the core of his person. Now, you cannot reverse that and say that love is God. But you can say with John that God is love. Love is part of who he is, and I believe that everything about God flows out of that love. All the other attributes that we're going to talk about this morning, God is, is just, as we're going to look at in just a moment. God is merciful. God is anything you can, else you really can say about God flows from that love. He is who he is because he is love, and we know he is unchanging. Thus, because God is a loving God, we see all these other attributes that flow from that. We see the love of the Father clearly in probably the most well-known and most well-loved verse of all time, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way. He loved the world so much that he did what? That he sent his Son. He sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love and affection for mankind is so strong. He cares about you so much. He cares about me so much that he was willing to send his only son to die to pay the price that we could not. His love is so strong that he sent his son Jesus. That is selfless. Selfishness is the opposite of love, right? Selfishness is thinking about me not putting other people first. But it's not just the love of the Father that we see clearly. Jesus Christ himself, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to do what? To lay down his life for his friends. Let me ask you a question. Who did Jesus lay, his down, lay down his life for? What do we just see in John three sixteen? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. So that tells me that God laid down his life. Jesus himself laid down his life. Greater love has no man than this, than that he laid down his life. But John says for his friends. Who did Jesus lay down his life for? Everyone. And that included who? The very people who were nailing him to that cross. His enemies. Not just his friends. You want to talk about great love? I mean, for a man to lay down his life for, for a friend, for someone he loves, for someone he cares about, for someone who's, who he cherishes, yes, that's, that's love. But for God, Jesus, to lay down his life for his enemies, for people that hated him, for people that spit in his face, there is no greater love than that. Jesus was the ultimate example 
of love. We know that God is love. And, and again, for each of these attributes, I'd like to, to point to some passages that say, hey, not only is this, this is what God is like, okay? God is love. And, and we'll focus on a couple of key attributes here this morning. But, but these are things that the scripture clearly tells us that we need to imitate this. In that God is love, we also need to be loving. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves. This is right in the same passage we just looked at a moment ago that says God is love. This is verse 7, just before that passage. Everyone who loves God, who loves is born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. We have the command right here that we ought to love one another. We ought to show that love. We ought to be selfless. It's based on the love of God. God originated love. He came up with the idea. He, he, he is love. And because of the love that he has for us, we need to love one another. Now let's talk about what love is, okay? When you think about love, probably the first thing that comes to mind is like marital love, right? You think about people, you know, two people who love each other and, and a romantic kind of love. And, and very often that is a feeling. But I'd like to, to point out, and I think many of you know this, that that biblical love is, is a choice. It's not a feeling. You can't command a choice. Here in this passage, we have a command to love. And God's not going to tell you to feel a certain way. Love is a choice. In our world today, I, again, I believe that the primary way that people think about love is this kind of mushy type of feeling love. Um, falling in love. But love is, is defined, and one of our mission trip, actually, mentioned the mission trip earlier, one of our core values when we go on these mission trips that we have everyone, uh, the teens, memorize is that love is the choice to give sacrificially to those who may not deserve it without any pretense of receiving benefit. Love is the choice to give sacrificially to those who may not deserve it without any idea that you're getting something in return. It's a choice. And we are commanded to love. And of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is not just for weddings. Verse 4, Paul says, he's describing love. This is what love looks like, okay? This is what we need to compare. Right, okay, yeah, I love my family. I love, I love, you know, my wife and my children. Okay, well, is it, is, does it meet with this? Is this definition, is, that, is it clicking on this here? 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Again, it's unselfish. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, in, in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. If you're looking at this verse and you're saying, yeah, my love checks all that verses, you're not paying attention. That is perfect biblical love being described there. I don't think there's a one of us that meets that standard. All of us could work on this. All of us can be better at loving our families. Of course, we know that, you know, Matthew 22, Jesus, Jesus is asked about what is the greatest commandment. Hey, what's, what's the most important commandment? What's the great, single greatest commandment? And what does he say? He says, love God, first of all. What's the second? He says, the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second greatest commandment. I would say that's pretty big deal. Love is putting others and their needs before your own. God is love, but he is also just, the justice of the Father. And it might be tempting to think of the justice of God as, as the opposite of his love. 
But as I mentioned, his love is the basis of who he is. And it, it is from his love that his justice flows. Um, that because God is loving, he is also just. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And then I, I listed the two verses here. Deuteronomy 32, 35, where he says, this is where it's written. Okay, Vengeance is mine. And then Isaiah 65, 6, I will repay says the Lord. We need to leave that up to God. God says, I'm going to handle it. It's up to me. I, it's not up to us to settle things. He is just. We need to allow God to be the judge and trust that, that he will one day make all things right. You know, if you're, if you're sitting in a restaurant waiting, uh, you know, on your food, and, and I think all of us have this tendency, we kind of we look around when we sit down, right? You look around and you see who else is there. And um, if you're anywhere around here, you see other Harvest people, uh, which is great. But uh, if you, you look around and you see, okay, hey, you know, when did they sit down? And you notice as people come in, right, you'll see them sit down, and you see them at the table near you. What's going to happen in your mind? You all know where I'm going with this, right? Okay. Their food comes out. I mean, they sat down 10, 15 minutes after you, right? And you've been sitting there. You're waiting patiently. You were nice to the waitress. You didn't say anything mean to her. And... and their food comes out. Now, what is, what is your first thought? Well, I would say you probably shouldn't have ordered a well-done steak, okay? That might have been a good place to start. No. Uh, you, you're going you're gonna to say, that's not fair. Thank you. Whoever said that, fair. <laughs> that's not fair. That's kind of how we say it, too, right? That's not fair. Now, that's, not, that's not just. Why did they get their food first? I've been sitting here longer. I'm starving, right? That's not fair. We think, okay, that's not just. That's not just. That's not right, and, and we might be tempted to think that way. Um, the point is that we as humans, we have an innate sense. We are born with this idea of justice. Like, we, we, we feel, okay, well, hey, this, it, things should be fair. We, we, we don't, it does not take children long to figure that out. I mean, we could all give examples of our own children who say, well, that, that's not fair. I mean, that just happened in my house yesterday, okay? That's not fair. Well, God is the only one who's perfectly fair. What does it mean that God is just? It means that he's fair. It means that one day everything will be as it should be. You can trust that whatever God does is right. He's perfectly just in his judgments. He is impartial. He is unbiased. That's what it means to be just. He's impartial. He's not biased. He is absolutely fair. And thus, we ought to be just. And the Bible tells us that as well. Leviticus 19, 15. You shall do no injustice in, in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor. You know, honor the person of the, of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall, judge, you shall dr uh, judge your neighbor. Micah 6, 8. He has, shown who, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then Psalm 33, 4 and 5, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. God wants us to be just. He wants us to be fair. I wonder, dads, are we fair? I know even in my own life, there have been many times where I've had to stop, you know, in the middle of, of dealing with a situation, dealing with a, a potential problem, and then stop and say, hey, am I being fair? In this situation, am I expecting too much considering the age of the child, considering what I told them? You know, that's another thing about God's justice is that God has given us his holy word and he has told us what he expects of us. 
the grace in it, God in his grace, he has told us what he wants us to do. He didn't just plop us here on earth and say, hey, go do th- go things and I'll strike you down if you don't do it right. That would not be just, would it? That would not be very fair. He's given us the instruction book. He's told us what he wants us to do. It's just our, it's on us for not listening so often. But he is just, and I think about that as a father as well. I think about that, hey, you know, am I, am I clearly communicating expectations to my children? Have, have I been fair in this? Do they, do they even know, or is it just kind of, hey, whatever, you know, however dad's feeling today, we're going to have to go based on that. Hey, you know, is dad in a good mood today? Or can I ask him about something? I don't know if that's really just. Let's be people that are just. Let's be people that are fair. I mean, Pastor just finished the story of of Joseph. And we saw what happened in the life of a man who played favorites with his children. And that's the, I mean, that's that's the low-hanging fruit with the story of Joseph, right? That's the easy fruit to pick. Hey, don't play favorites with your kids. It's still true. It was not a good result. Another attribute of God for us to emulate is his mercy, the mercy of the Father. This is his tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people. And again, we, we, look, at these, um, we look at these characteristics, these attributes of God, and we, it's, it's hard sometimes not to say, okay, well, the, the mercy of God is opposed to his justice. No. Or, or think, when the, well, when God is mer- being merciful, he is somehow setting aside his justice. No. God does not work like that. God is immutable. He does not change. There are not times where God is acting in justice and times he is acting in mercy. That is not how God works. In his mercy, he is being just. For those of us who have believed in Christ, who have put our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, God the Father, in his mercy, justly credits Christ with our sin and credits us with his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, pastor preached from this verse last, night, last Sunday night. He, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might have the right, the, his robes for mine, we might be the, made the righteousness of God in him, that when God looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness. That is still just. It is his mercy, yes, but it is just. Again, we return to Psalm 86, verses 13 through 15. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. God is merciful. Lamentations 3, Absolutely beloved verses, First Psalm 103. Excuse me, we read this uh, as our call to worship this morning. The Lord is merciful. He is gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. Verse 11, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy. His mercy is great as, as, far, as far as the heavens are above the earth. Verse 17, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. And then Lamentations 3. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. His mercy is new every single morning. Don't we feel that? We wake up in the morning, especially if you got a good night's sleep. Lord, it's a new day. You might go to bed thinking things are awful. 
We wake up in the morning, his mercies are fresh. That verse is so true. His mercies are new every single morning, and they're available. They're there. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to park here for just a moment. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Because he is rich in mercy, and because of the love that we've already talked about, when we were dead, he made us alive. Let's think about, for just a moment about God's mercy. His mercy is him not giving us what we do deserve. Because he is merciful, he provided a just way of salvation. Of course, God's provision of salvation is the result of his love and his grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, the way of salvation has nothing to do with anything you do. It's not about being a good person, doing certain things, acting in certain ways, being baptized, giving to the church. All those are good things, but they gain you no standing with God. It is only by his mercy and his grace, not by works. John 3.16, verse we already mentioned, whosoever does what? Believes. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That right there. Mercy. God not giving us what we do deserve. What we deserve is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Belief and trust in the merciful provision of God through his son, Jesus. That is the way of salvation. That and that alone. Not Jesus and then plus this. Not Jesus plus being a good person or anything else you want to put in that blank. Jesus Christ alone. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. God in his mercy has provided us a way of salvation. And if, if he is merciful, then we ought to be as well. Again, Micah 6, 8, we looked at this verse. To, what are we supposed to do? What does God require of us? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Matthew 5, Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Luke 6, 35 and 36. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend, hoping for nothing in return, and, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Are we merciful? Lastly, we see the patience of the Father. God is so patient. He is long-suffering. Psalm 86, 15, again, back to the same main text here. Long-suffering. He is an abundant in mercy and truth. He's long-suffering. What does it mean to be long-suffering? It means you suffer long. It means you don't snap. It means you have a long fuse. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward not willing that any should, pay, should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we can see the, the patience, the long-suffering nature of God in our country even today. We see that God has continued to bless this wicked nation, yet he, 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 he has still poured out his blessings on us. That is his long-suffering. That is his patience. And once again, we are called to follow his example. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another. What does it mean to bear with one another? It means to put up with each other. 
Peter comes to Christ in Matthew 18, he asks the Lord, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? As much as seven times? Peter's like, wow, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm pretty good. If I'm going to be willing to, to forgive seven times, then what does Jesus say? No, you need to forgive 70 times seven times. And what, of course, that means is not that you're keeping track until you get to 490 times. It, that means that you just always forgive, that we're always long-suffering. We're bearing with one another. There might be times where we have to bear with our family, bear with our car. There definitely will be times. We have to bear with our family, bear with our, co- with our co-workers, bear with the people around us. But Paul says, bear, to be tolerant, to put up with each other without complaint, to have a long fuse. You know, if you've you ever done firecrackers around the 4th of July, you know that if you get one of those little ones that, doesn't, that has just a little tiny fuse on it, good idea or bad idea? Doesn't stop you, though. It's <laughs> a bad idea, okay? That's a short fuse. Have you, has anyone ever said, you, hey, I think you've got kind of a short fuse. It doesn't take much to set you off. How long does it take for you to blow your top? Are we patient? Most of us need God's grace for a longer fuse. So if you're like me, you can look at all four of these categories, and you can say, wow, I mean, I need help. I, I mean, just any of them. Pick one. And it can be overwhelming to say, you know what, I, 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 could, I, I need to improve in, in all of these. And each of us, no doubt, can improve in all of these areas, especially us as fathers. But I would encourage you this morning that to, to look at these four and to say, okay, and if that's you this morning, if you are feeling like that and you feel overwhelmed and you think, man, I, I need help in all these areas, let me just encourage you to, to choose one. To say, you know, okay, which, which area do I need the most help in? To choose one and to really focus on that, study it, dig into the scripture, find verses that, more verses that talk about it, and, and you know what's going to happen is, is as you dig in and as you really try to improve in that one area by God's grace, other areas of your life are going to improve. There's going to be fallout from that, and it's going to be good fallout. There's going to be improvement in, in other areas as well. That, that improvement, that benefit, is, it will reap benefits in, in all those other areas. Pick one and, and focus on that, but allow God to work. And, and there will be additional benefits as well. I remember uh, sitting in the very first counseling class that I ever took um, in school, and the professor was, was talking about fathers. He was talking about dads. And um, he mentioned the fact that, that sometimes counselees will say things along the lines of, well, I can't relate to my heavenly father, or I, I can't be a good earthly father because I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. I didn't have a good relationship with my father. And he asked us, he said, what, what's the problem with that? Why, why is that a faulty line of thinking? And I thought for a moment, I raised my hand, which I, I this was a very large class, and so I, d- I did not do that very often, but um, I said, you know, the problem with that kind of thinking is that if you know enough to know that your father wasn't the right kind of father, then you know what he should have been. You know the way that he, that he should have acted. You knew enough to know that it wasn't good, right? Um, and so if you know enough to know that your father wasn't a good father, then you obviously have some idea of what he should have done or should have acted. And of course, the reality is that regardless of the fact that not a single one of us Regardless of whether you had a great, I mean, you might have had the best father on the planet. 
but he wasn't perfect. Not a single one of us has had a perfect father, but we know that we know what a heavenly father is. We know what our heavenly father does. We know what he looks like. We know what a perfect father is because we have our heavenly father, because we can see what he is like. We can see that he is loving, that he is patient, that he is merciful, that he is just, that he's always fair. That we, he has provided a flawless example for us, not just us as dads, but for each of us. May God give us all the grace uh, to follow his example.